Let down. What letdown? The U.S. men are officially rolling. A big-time win over Costa Rica puts the exclamation point on a historic week for the Stars and the Stripes. Meanwhile, Liga Mekis and MLS announced an all-star showdown. We're one-on-one with the commish, Don Garber, who didn't hold back when asked about Inter-Miami and the scandal. Plus, the National Soccer Hall of Fame has its latest class of inductees with one very notable omission, Hope Solo. We cover all that and more starting now on Football Americas. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Hercules Gomez, Sebastian Salazar. As always, good to be with you here on ESPN+. Plus. Usually, Herc, we save it for the end of the show, but I love your shirt. Show us what you're wearing. I got Queen Bee over here. She know about this. <laughs> love it, love it. I got my Club de Cuervos, the original, one of the original kits. Love that from the Netflix series. Hey, uh, before we get any further in the show, we also have to mention a little bit of housekeeping here. You know, this is a show of the people. We right. may be on an over-the-top platform. We may be on ESPN+, Plus, right? you got to pay a little extra for it. But the audio version of the show, Herc, now available on podcast. Tell the people how hard we fight, had to fight to make this happen. Hey, I almost lost my job to make this happen. You <laughs> welcome people. I think of you and only you. We work for the people. Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you download your podcast, we are now available. We are in the ESPN FC feed. You should already be downloading ESPN FC. You'll find us right there uh, under those gentlemen and the great job they do. All right, Herc, let's not waste any more time because we got a lot to get to in this show. We'll start with the U.S. and their dominant, Herc, dominant 4 nothing win over Costa Rica on Wednesday night in Salt Lake City, actually Sandy, Utah, where this game was played. Now, there were a lot of changes for this U.S. team, right? Nine changes from the team that beat Mexico, but they are off to a great start. Eighth minute here, Brendan Aronson finding the back of the net. Oh, it's always so sweet and as an offensive player. When you find the ball, when the ball finds you, you see that crack, you see that space, and you take advantage of it. He wasn't expecting it. He thought it was going to be Daryl Deacon, but he takes it. Brendan Aronson from close range and with authority. Look at the way he hits this clean little strike. Daryl DK involved in the build-up there. He put the finishing touch off this. Through ball from Mark McKenzie. DK one-on-one. Yep, 2 nothing. This is when you know you're in that zone. As a forward, a million things cross your mind when you see the goalkeeper. When you realize you are 1v1 with the goalkeeper only to beat. Look how calm he is. The presence of mind to wait for the goalkeeper to come on down and then slots it in. Second half, Reggie Cannon. Like a cornerback, jump in the route, picks off the pass and finishes the play. 3-0 U.S. Calma, calma, calma. He gives him the calma. The anticipation right here. He sees the play developing. He knows exactly. Look at that. He's already off to the races. How about the cutback? And then left-footed finish. Costa Rica, to be fair, not very dangerous in this game, but they got some opportunities here and there. Into the second half, Ethan Horvath. Called into action, and just like he was against Mexico, solid. Yeah, not the most difficult of saves, but he was ready for it. Later on, Gio Reyna clattered into in the penalty area. We're going to the spot, and Herc, he puts this one away literally as cool as you possibly can. That's just a dirty finish. Uh, he's looking at the goalkeeper, waits for him to go down. Look, he's always looking, commits, and then just softly places the ball. 
There oh, you go. He gave him the eyes. He gave him the no-look pen. And look at that's who was on the bench. So again, uh, very much kind of a second squad, a rotational squad for Greg Berhalter. This, of course, the uh, fourth game that they've played in this international window. As for Greg Berhalter, making some history, right? He's been in charge of this team for 29 games. He is the fastest manager in U.S. men's national team history to get to that 20-win plateau for all that has been said about him. How about that, Herc? Really capping off a great week. This is insane. You know how many pundits, and we should be included, have completely discarded a lot of what this U.S. men's national team and Greg Burhalter have done. And, and sometimes rightfully so. The competition, whatever you want during this pandemic year, what was he lost? 13 months uh, leading up to what is his tenure as the national team coach to be the fastest to get to 20 wins. And you saw the names, Bob Bradley, Jurgen Klinsmann, Bruce Arena, Steve Sampson. It's an accomplishment, but it shouldn't be. This is it. He's made it. Uh, we are good now. Everything's set. No more questions. We should keep demanding, keep expecting more and more, not only from this national team, but of Greg Berhalter. You know what? That number 20 means zero to me, and it means zero compared to the 3-2. <laughs> That's the real big number for Greg Berhalter right now, the 3-2 that he got over Mexico. Herc, I don't want to break down this game too much because, let's be honest, coming off that Mexico game, it just it was lacking, right? It felt like almost uh, a different the sport. The intensity, but yes. I don't, think, I don't think we can talk about this game even a little bit and get away without talking about Brendan Aronson. Like, he is now, at this point, jumping off the screen almost every time that he plays. That's what it is. He's one of those players that attracts danger. He's so technically sound. He's so tactically gifted. And what I mean by that is he's capable of playing so many different positions in that front line. Anywhere you want, on the right, the left, underneath. Uh, he's so good in tight spaces. His IQ within the final third, that's how he senses things. That's how he gets these positions. That's how he gets these favorable looks at goal. But it's one thing to be there. It's one thing to be present. It's another thing to take advantage of it. It's three goals, three assists, and seven games for Brendan Aronson. This is what you want out of a young player. When he gets that opportunity, because oftentimes, as a young player, you ask yourself, why aren't I playing? How come when I do things well, I don't get more opportunities? And you let your ego get the best of you. Everything I've seen from this kid, every time he said something, every time I see him play, it's the hunger that I notice. It's the willingness to keep wanting to improve. It's every time he gets on the field, wanting to do something that helps the team on both sides of the ball, but it's the offensive side where you need him most that he takes advantage of. Dude, he's so fun to watch. Like, we saw that little wiggle move that almost ends up in an assist. It's just beautiful. Uh, Taylor Twelman, who was on our show the other day, I think during the broadcast, he literally said, dear Lord, like, as it happened live. He's just one of those players that can make these little wow. plays that he, really he start to... He compared it to John Champion cutting up the rug at his wedding. I don't know what John... <laughs> so... <laughs> we don't have the video of that. We don't have the video of that, to be fair. I'm sure John Champion can, uh, can quite cut quite the rug. The, the point is, though... About a month ago, we were talking about him as kind of a depth option. That's going to change as he continues to play better and better. All right, let's do some stock up, stock down. Not from the USA-Costa Rica game, but from the last four games as a whole. Because this really felt like the first time that Greg yeah. Berhalter has had pretty much everybody together and had real competitive matches to judge them against. So do we start positive or do we start negative usually on this show? We go stock up, don't we? Okay. Let's, All right, let's start, start stock note. up then. I think the obvious stock up for me has to be Weston McKinney, right? Let's start there. This is a player who's so good, especially 
in the CONCACAF Nations League final. He's involved in both of those corner kicks. He scores one, really sets up the second one with his header that rebounds off the post. Gio Reyna ends up tucking it in. To have that impact in that game and then be named player of the tournament in the first player ever Nations League, Stock up, bro. Stock way up on Weston McKinney. Yeah, oftentimes when, when you hear pundits speak of Weston McKinney, they talk about his energy, how contagious it is, his ability to cover ground, his ability to be a box-to-box player. Nobody talks about his leadership, and he's not a player that's like screaming at other players to get going, to get motivated. He does it with his play. Versus Mexico. When they were down, anytime you needed something, a spark, it was Weston McKinney. Whether it's a dead ball, whether it's a tackle, whether it's a 50-50 ball, whether it's him being willing to get on the end of things, it was always Weston McKinney. He is contagious in that sense. He is a natural leader. Weston McKinney, no doubt, is one of the biggest winners out of the last three or four games. Certainly out of the last, or I should say the the final versus Mexico, he's the one big winner. The, The mentality on this kid, the... I don't know if I could say it. The uh, I guts, don't want to say the guts, the guts, the guts, the guts on this kid to 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 be willing to put his body on the line, to be willing to sacrifice himself, to know what is about, to to have that hunger, that desire. I thought it was excellent. I love what you said about the leadership. We talked about this when we did our hit with ESPN FC right after the game. Critical moment in the match. He and Hector Herrera are right there. Achiache puts his hands on Weston McKinney's neck. Now, it could have gotten Herrera kicked off. It probably should have if he hadn't probably already deserved to be kicked off before that. But Weston McKinney didn't lose his cool, didn't react in that moment, kind of stared him down, said, hey, I'm not going to fall for this. And that had to transmit some calm to his teammates. So I love the point you mentioned about leadership. But there's also something real tangible that Weston McKinney is starting to bring. It's not just goals, because we saw it a little bit with Juventus. It's big goals. Uh, Remember the 2019 Gold Cup, which feels like 100 years ago now. He got two goals in the knockout round of those games. Remember that game that you and I were at against Curaçao in Philadelphia, where the U.S. were terrible. They win the game 1-0, your goal scorer? Weston McKinney. He gets a goal also, I think, in the in the semifinals against Jamaica, which helped them get up one nothing eventually a game that they win three to one. So he's got a knack for big goals. Yep. Uh, let me ask you this real quick on McKinney. Everyone will tell you Christian Pulisic is the US men's national team's best player. Is Weston McKinney close? Certainly he's close for where he plays, how he plays, how important he is to Juventus, which is a massive club, and the importance to this team. He seems to be very well-liked, well-respected, and how contagious he is. He seems to emit a certain type of effort and energy throughout the team that I think is infectious and does him very well. So, yeah. All right, let's do some stock up on Gio Reyna, right? Another player that had a great Nations League. It's a goal against Mexico. And he gets a goal against uh, Costa Rica as well, the one we just saw from the penalty spot. Couple goals, but really it's all the other stuff that he's doing, Herc. Yeah, check this out though. Look at this, before the penalty kick, uh, he's taken the ball away from Sebichu. He wants it. They're almost fighting for the ball. It's the mentality, he's 18 years old, but he wants more, the hunger. Listen, this kid's a menace on the ball. Anytime he has Mm. the ball at his feet, it is so difficult to get get the ball off of him. He is so, deceivingly strong, deceivingly fast, because he glides with the ball. He glides in between defenders. It's, it's, it's so difficult to get the ball off his feet, but his decision-making is better. I thought in the final, I thought versus Honduras, and in the final, he's one of the better players. He was one of the players that every time he had the ball at his foot, something would happen. He's only 18 years old. He keeps getting better and better and better. Borussia Dortmund has been uh, just instrumental in his development, but it's what he's doing with the national team. That sort of, I am bigger than just being an 18-year-old, than just being 
a, a promise for the future. I am a player of today, and he wants that responsibility. It's really opened my eyes. Dude, 18 years old. Let's not downplay that, because we talk about Polisic and Adams and McKinney as young. They're 22 years old, all three of them. They're four years older than Gio Reyna. Can you imagine what this kid is going to be in four years? I'm so excited about next season for him at Dortmund. We see all the transfer talk that's going on right now as the European window opens. Jaden Sancho looks very, very possible that he's moving on to Manchester United. If he moves on, just more and more and more opportunities for Gio Reyna at that club. Dude, I, think, I think of all the players, like when we talk about ceiling, it's really hard to argue that anybody has a higher ceiling than Gio Reyna. That's the good stuff, Herc. That's the good stuff. Let's get to the bad. Because there were some shaky moments for the U.S. despite the fact that this was a, uh, let's admit, a, a great week. All right, stock down. For me, the very, very obvious pick, Josh Sargent. Got three starts out of these four games, zero goals. Yeah, especially when you think about that nine position and it's not really too deep. Right now, it's Josh Sargent, it's Daryl Dike, it's Jordan Sivichu. Uh, there isn't a whole lot of depth there, and it's up for grabs. So certainly with those two guys chomping at the big, both of them scoring, uh, no doubt Josh Sargent uh, saw his stock go down. I still have faith in this player because I think the intangibles mm. on this kid um, are something else. I think he's deceivingly fast. I think he's very good with his feet, turns on a dime, and he's probably out of the three that I just mentioned, the best at combining and drawing those, excuse me, midfielders in to the final third of play. Hey, remember when we did the top five U.S. number nines? Josh Sargent was number one on yeah. your list. Is he still number one? Yes, I still have him at number one. I mean, we haven't seen hmm. these other two really perform against big opponents. So, yeah, I still have him number one uh, because of those intangibles I mentioned. Because when Josh Sargent is on, his ability to play and combine in the final third suits players like Christian Pulisic, players like Giovanni Reyna, uh, other players like uh, Serginho Dest a lot better than a Daryl Dike or a Sevichu and, and that type of play. I feel like Sargent came into these games as kind of the leader in the clubhouse for that number nine job. I don't think he's he's that anymore. And I wonder if you're not convinced in Sibichu, uh Pifak now, his, his mother's maiden Pifak. name. Yes. Yeah. Um, or, or if you're not convinced in DK, if that means that Josie Altidore, who was, what, fourth or fifth in your number nine yeah, list? Yeah, that was two uh, months ago, and a lot's happened in the last two months. Josie Altidore right now is in number five for Toronto FC, so impossible to put him in number five for the U.S. men's national team. He's got to sort that out. But we're seeing a clear trend when it comes to nines in the U.S. men's national team pool. It's wide open. And right now hmm. we can really only name three, so it's anybody's game. Okay, so the other part of the team that maybe wasn't at its best, at least throughout the last four games, was the defensive line. Like, we were trying to think of a second stock down, and we were just naming everybody. It's like Dest, Cannon, McKenzie, Reem. So we said, all right, let's just do the whole back line. Herka, shaky moments. Look, at the end of the day, the results are what matter, but I think there's definitely some things to iron out here in the back three, four, five, whatever we're calling it, uh, from minute to minute. Yeah. Oftentimes, when you have a healthy Tyler Adams, a lot of these defensive issues can be remedied. They can be solved to, to an extent. But it's what I saw when he wasn't there, how certain players were exposed. Sergio Dest, his lack of defensive defending ability. John Brooks, how he was a liability 1v1. Uh, Mark McKenzie, who I thought had a very good game against Switzerland, against Mexico. Tecatito Corona had his way with them. Uh, Tecati Corona at half gas and injured Tecatito Corona. And even Mark McKenzie on his uh, podcast, Orange Slices, had mentioned once he gives up that ball, once he gives up that goal, he's thinking, oh, man, it's my job mm. with the U.S. Men's National Team. I'm never going to play again here. He understood uh, the gravity of the situation. He will get better as a young player, but it's 
this defensive line, Tim Ream, who's 33 years old on paper, plays like he's 147 years old. And I say, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be honest with you. He's the one player in the pool who I don't quite understand. I can't put my finger on why he's still part of the pool, especially this team that's so young, this team that's so much promise, so much ceiling. You have other players in the back, Matt Miazga, Cameron Carter-Vickers. You have certain players like Richards coming up through the ranks. Um, there must be a reason why Greg Berhalter still values him. I'm sure he must be a great presence in the locker room, great leadership. Uh, but playing as a left back when you have a player like Anthony Robinson, who plays on the same club team as Tim Ream, who plays that position and is on the bench, was a head-scratcher for me. So you said that a lot of this could be fixed with Tyler Adams. Could a lot of this also be fixed by settling on not just a formation and, and personnel, but how they're going to play out of the back? There seems to be a very real commitment to playing out of the back. And sometimes it feels like these guys aren't up for it. They're not yet there. If, if things were simplified and if the back four, back three was named and we knew always who it was going to be, do you think that some of the stuff we saw in the last four games could be fixed by September, which is right around the corner, and that's when the real games start, the World Cup qualifiers? It's difficult because now you have these three-game windows where you have three qualifiers in a window every three days, so you have a little bit more time to work, but not that much time because a lot of those times, a lot of these players are doing they're regrouping what is therapy. They're regrouping what is regeneration. There's not on the field time. It's going to be more tactical sessions on the board. Maybe you can get a sense for what each player can do together. But it's not like having a club team like Greg Berhalter has been used to. And you have so many days out of the year where you can work in tactical sessions and double sessions. And you can get things going. You get everybody on the same page. Everybody's going to play the same way. These players go back to the club teams. They all play different ways. They all have different mm. things that are demanded of them. It's so much more difficult to get everybody on the same page when it comes to a national team, especially a national team that historically has never played progressive football out of the back. So that's going to be very difficult. Herc, we just mentioned Tyler Adams. We are not the only ones with Tyler Adams on our mind. How about this? Parade report in the athletic arsenal are very interested in Tyler Adams. Now, they're interested in him primarily as a right back. Also, according to The Athletic, RB Leipzig, a little bit hesitant to sell. They have just moved on uh, both of their real high-quality center backs, which means they got a lot of money and a lot of holes to fill uh, on that back line already. Hurt Tyler Adams to Arsenal as a right back. Good fit or bad fit? Oh, man. Um, okay, why do they want him as a right back? Because... Uh, uh, the way he can play that he's played with Nagelsmann as that right back who oftentimes comes into the midfield to act like another midfielder, like a Joao Cancelo does for City. Can he play that way? Yes, he's proven it. Does Tyler Adams want to play that way? Probably not. He probably thinks he affects the game being central all the time. So I understand that. He can play there. He can be there. I don't think that's where he wants to play if, if, if I'm going with the quick answer, Seb. Mm. Okay, fair enough. Look, I think Arsenal actually, even at right back, you can argue is a, is a good fit, right? Hector Bellerin reportedly going to move on. Uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles is another player that I think has been linked to Crystal Palace, who plays the position. Uh, Callum Chambers is kind of the lone right back left then after that. I think, you know, I don't know if Tyler Adams wins that position battle, but I bet you Tyler Adams believes he could beat out uh, Chambers in a position battle. And look, Arsenal's a big, big club. He's going to get paid a lot more should he move to Arsenal uh, than RB Leipzig. But 
RB Leipzig gives you a whole lot of other opportunities. And I think that's the other side of this equation. If you're Tyler Adams, are you in a hurry to leave Leipzig right now with Jesse Marsh coming in? You mentioned the allure of the Premier League, the money, the attention, the competition. It's the best league in the world. That is a very strong incentive to want to jump ship and go into the Premier League. But you're getting a coach who believed in you from the beginning, a coach who gave mm. you your first debut in top flight football, a coach who was there as an assistant coach who brought you into what is Leipzig, who's seen you, who's groomed you, and now he's coming back. So he'll be a big component of why Charles Adams stays if he does stays and in more of his upbringing and the future grooming of this player. Uh, but why would you want to go as strong as the Arsenal brand is, as strong as the mm. Premier League brand is, to a team that's got so many different questions right now. It's a huge team, massive, massive brand, but are not in Champions League where you're already going to be with Leipzig. They're not even in Europa League. They're going to be in the Conference mm. League, mm. the European Conference. So that's third-tier European competition. It seems like a step backwards for me as when it comes to competitive play in Europe, though you are in the Premier League. If you're yeah. banking on Arsenal changing, if you're banking on Arsenal doing something, it is a massive club, and the glow, the sparkle, the, the shine that comes with it could be something huge for Tyler Adams. But it's that position change. What do you want to be? Where do you want to be? Uh, for the next year, two years, three years, do you want to be a right back? Or do you see yourself honestly being an important player for Leipzig and then going off to bigger and better? Yeah, he loves that number six position. I mean, he said it here on our show. We kind of pushed him on the right back, and he snapped back. You saw it in the interview. I think he's starting to more and more view himself as a number six. And yeah, you might be turning down to Premier League, but you've still got Champions League uh, at RB Leipzig. And, and that's probably the most important thing, right? That's the, the pinnacle. And we know Leipzig is capable of deep runs. Two years ago, yeah, it was single elimination, but they made it all the way to the semifinals. Uh, Roger Gonzalez of CBS Sports, Herc, reporting that other Premier League teams are interested in, well, you think Tyler Adams, if, it's, if we put Arsenal to the side, is he Premier League ready right now? I think so. Uh, this kid, forget about the size, but he's so physically fit. He's got such an engine, his ability to cover ground. But that's not what makes him good. It's his intelligence. I firmly believe you can play this kid in, in multiple situations, multiple schemes, multiple tactics, formations, even positions because of how smart he is on the field. He's one of those players that you could put, depend on to put out a fire, but also to start a fire against the opposition. He's so intelligent. That's why you see him, Nagelsmann had him in that position that is so cerebral as a right back coming into the midfield, joining so you can be creative, but also joining so you can put out a fire like as another six when the ball is on the offensive end. I think he's a very good player. He's very smart. And the Premier League, that type of football, yeah, it suits him too. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. A very big announcement in Los Angeles. This will be the 25th All-Star game played in MLS history. This is a city that has soccer or football at its core. Aquí en Estados Unidos, los mexicanos también jugamos de local. We have been working for so long to develop this partnership. There's no reason why CONCACAF can't at some point be as big as Comdebol or be as big as UEFA. And in order for that to happen, the two big leagues 
and this region need to collaborate together. All right, Herc, it's been rumored, it's been talked about for a long time. We finally have it, a Major League Soccer against Liga MX All-Star Game set for August 25 at Bank of California Stadium. Love the idea or hate the idea? Love it or hate it, get used to it. That's what's going to happen because it's what makes money. Listen, if we've learned anything from this uh, CONCACAF Nations League final, this made-up tournament, is how much it sells, how much it draws. Mm. The Spanish language channel here in the States drew over 4 million viewers. So anytime you have Major League Soccer versus Liga MX, they equate it to U.S. Men's National Team and Mexico, the rivalry. It sells. So as long as that keeps selling, get used to it. Do I like this? Yeah, I do like it. I want to see Mexico's biggest stars, mm -hmm. Liga MX's biggest stars, play against Major League Soccer's biggest stars. Sure, I think it's a great spectacle. And it's what a... All-Star Game should be. It's a, it's a celebration of star power, and I think both leagues have plenty of that. Yeah, I love it. I think the friendlies against kind of European competition in their offseason, in their preseason, it was getting a little bit tired, right? We'd seen enough of it. We'd seen MLS stack up against those opponents without anything really on the line. There's nothing on the line here, but I think it'll be a more interesting competition. I think for fans and for media, it's way more interesting than anything uh, that's a friendly. Who's your favorite right now? That's interesting because how are we picking this team? If you just said, give me a collection of one of the uh, biggest star players, I would say, you know what? I think probably Liga Mekis can win. But we're going based off last year's best performers or last season's best performers for what is Liga Mekis, the Ballon de Oro finalist for what will be this M I'm sorry, Liga Mekis team. I, I think the form changes so much from season to season in Liga Mekis that I have to give the advantage to a team mm -hmm. or players who will actually be in season, who actually will be in better moments and uh, who have actually been in competition like this before. So I, I'll go with Major League Soccer here. A lot of people think of this as another step towards a potential North American Super League, the merger, the fusion between Major League Soccer and Liga Mekis. Of course, at Bank California Stadium yesterday was Don Garber. You were there as well. You got to talk to the commission. He kind of poured some cold water on the idea of a full fusion anytime in the near future. Let's listen in. Does this all-star game get us one step closer to what is a joint league, a merger between Liga Mekis and MLS? No, not really, Herc. I mean, I, this is one more example of meaningful collaboration. You know, I, I have this strong view, as does my counterpart in Mexico, that, you know, we need to make CONCACAF big and strong. We need to be able to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with Comunable and with UEFA. To do that, our leagues need to be bigger and stronger. So expanded, meaningful competition will happen, and I think you'll see more league, League's Cup games uh, in the years to come. But you can achieve the value of a, a merged league with competition. It doesn't have to have shared ownership or shared equity and things like that. Is Don Garber telling me, Commissioner Garber's telling me right now, the idea of a joint league is out the window? And, you know, nothing in life is out the window, right? We're in the soccer business. Anything could happen. But it's not a joint league is, is not happening anytime soon. Mm. All right, Herg. That sounds to me like the idea of a full merger is dead. You agree? Uh, for the time being, yeah. And I actually think this Super League, the reaction to the European Super League may have had something to do with this. Now, all of a sudden, they're realizing Liga Mekis and what is Major League Soccer, maybe more Major League Soccer. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So FIFA's not that cool with this? So FIFA didn't like the blowback from the fans, blowback from the confederations? Uh, okay, so maybe we should take a step back. Maybe we should reevaluate what this really is, a working relationship. So, uh, yeah, for the time being, dead. Mm. Interesting you say that. So 
I think it's a good call, right? Because a full merger, we're talking about what? Like New England Revolution against Bravos de Ciudad Juarez? Who wants that? That's getting a 0.0 rating. Mm -hmm. Columbus against Querétaro, nobody's watching that. What people do want is the best of MLS against the best of Liga Mekis, which I think you accomplish with the All-Star Game. You accomplish with Leagues Cup. You accomplish with Campeones Cup. Now, the one other side to that is what you mentioned before. We're just going to keep seeing this and seeing this and seeing this. Please, please, to the powers that be in American soccer, get creative. And this is coming from two Mexican-Americans. There is more to selling soccer in this country than just Mexico. It can't be U.S. against Mexico all the time. It can't be MLS against... We have to get more creative in how we market the game. Otherwise, you're going to have some events that do really, really well, Herc, but you're going to just spread yourself thin, and at the end of the day, you're going to water down a rivalry that we saw was so, so special the yeah. other night in Denver. Yeah, but if you do that, if you expand it, then CONCACAF comes in. Wait a second, you're taking a piece of my pie here? What's going mm. on? I'm not for that. Okay, so you talked with Don Garber about a lot of things yesterday, and we got some really good sound bites out of the commission. Of course, the hot topic right now is Inter Miami, the big punishment, Jorge Mas's recent comments. Herc, you hit the commission on all those. Here's what he had to say. I have to ask you, Inter Miami, the, the fines that were imposed for what was cheating on their part, some of the harshest fines, no, the harshest fine in Major League Soccer history. Uh, why were the fines so harsh? And number two, actually, my co-host Sebastian Salazar in Football Americas thinks it wasn't harsh enough. Well, it was pretty harsh, right? So you go from unprecedented by, by any measure, uh, Herc, the, the, the highest fine we've ever had of an owner individual is 100000 This was 250000 We've never had a team fine um, more than $100,000, and this was $2 million. And now you're, you're talking about $1.5 in competitive sanctions. I mean, unprecedented in its nature, and it was an unprecedented violation of our rules. We also had a general manager who won't be able to work in Major League Soccer for some time. When you put all those things together, it's a message to them that... Their partners in the league, its commissioner, are not going to tolerate breaking the rules. And it's a message to anybody else that might be thinking about it that the next one will be even more severe. Now, Jorge Mas, the owner of Inner Miami, was actually uh, interviewed by The Athletic, and he had a few interesting comments. It's no secret that there are, there are a segment of owners in the league that do not want to spend money. They're clipping coupons. Life is good. That's not why we got into this. Uh, what would you say about his assessment of those owners who aren't really willing to spend money and see this league go to the next level. Well, I'd say that, uh, you know, I, I think all new owners probably need to do some media training, right? And in this case, you know, they're probably media training might have made this a question I wouldn't have to answer, right, Eric? <laughs> so what I would say is that it's just patently untrue. You know, every owner has a, a different vision. They're all deeply committed, and you know that. You've been in the league a long time. Not everybody can deliver on everything that they have planned for a wide variety of reasons, not out of want or, or desire. It's about execution, and that's why sports are great. Those who execute well with a good plan win. Those who have a good plan and don't execute don't win. So, you know, ultimately we have a very committed and passionate ownership group. And, uh, you know, I, I can't look around our board table and think there's anybody there that is doing anything other than trying to deliver value for their fans and, and be as good an owner as they're possibly capable of being. New owners need media training. Herc, shots fired or what? No, shots fired for sure. Uh, but is Jorge Mas lying here? I mean, I mean, there are some absentee loaners who see this as a tax write-off. Uh, 
the Cronkies of the world, the Hunts of the world. There are these owners in Major League Soccer who don't want to spend money, who don't want to keep pushing the envelope. And then there are these owners, the Merritt Paulsons, the Adrian Hanovers, the, the, the Jorge Masses of the world, if you will, the, you know, those type of franchises like Toronto, like Atlanta, Arthur Bank, what they're doing. They want to keep on spending and keep trying to win. I applaud that. It can't be that Stan Kroenke opens up a stadium in his home country, in North America, in beautiful Denver, Colorado, and doesn't show up for the opening. I don't know if he's ever set foot in the stadium that he opened, of the team that he owns. It is what it is in Major League Soccer, and I understand the frustration from Don Garber, and I understand as a commissioner how that's a shot you're taking at one of the owners, but show me the line. Yeah, it's a salary cap league. So right there, we're already trying to control costs, right? And the salary cap this year is what four point nine million dollars. You compare that to the NBA, NFL, NHL, any major sport here in the United States, it's a drip in the bucket. So MLS owners are not the big spenders that Don Garber, in that quote at least, might want to make them out to be. Herc, I also think there are some cheapskate owners, and and I know it because I'm in Washington D.C. <laughs> and I don't know if you remember this story because it came out a, a few months ago in the Athletic. But some great reporting by Pablo Maurer. D.C. United had its front office staff mm. doubling as surveillance at night of Audi Field during the pandemic. If that ain't clipping coupons, Herc, I don't know what is. That's one of uh, a thousand examples. Uh, teams trying to cut out their <laughs> academy programs. Uh, wait a second. Didn't D.C. United, didn't they just have an evaluation? Uh, how much is D.C. United worth now? So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Mark Ingram uh, bought into the team, and they said $700 million, the uh, reported valuation of DC United. Never have we ever heard an exaggeration in American soccer before. Speaking of exaggerations in American soccer, a lot of people said that on this show last week, we were exaggerating. We were exagerados with all this messy to inter-Miami yeah, talking. Get way us. ahead of yourself. That's us. Well, guess what? You ask the guy in charge. You ask the commish about Messi to Major League Soccer. What do you have to say? Don, all types of stars are linked to Major League Soccer all the time. This just happens. But Messi to Inter-Miami has been linked recently. What would a player of Messi's caliber do for the league? You know, listen, Messi is, you know, he's God, right? Messi is like the great player in our generation, uh, the, the GOAT, if you will. So, you know, and in my opinion, right, I think most people will have their own version of who the GOAT is. But, you know, obviously when players like that are are Talk, talking about Major League Soccer, it's good for our league. But at the end of the day, or the, and when you were in the league, the league had a different strategy, right? We needed to bring in players that tend to have been at the end of their career. And now we have, you know, however many players, I think it was 20 of the players that beat Mexico in the Nations League final, came up through MLS academies. I'd rather see our owners go deep into ensuring they're creating a Christian Pulisic, ensuring that they're playing, uh, creating all the great players that have come through our academy, a Canadian and Alfonso right. Davies, right? A great player like McKinney who came through FC Dallas. And if a Messi can fit in there, great. But that should not be our narrative. Our narrative is what we're doing to develop great world-class players. I'm glad you brought that up because a Messi coming in at the 36, 37 years of age when Major League Soccer is actively trying to shed this retirement league image, does that matter? You know, it does matter, but you know, it's funny, I've been dealing with this for since before we had designated players. And I remember everybody saying, boy, David Beckham was over the hill. He was 31 years old, right? And you played, I think, till you were 37? Oh, come on. I played till I was 34. Oh, 34, <laughs> okay. So, but you were still playing, and I thought, you, thought you were pretty darn good. I right? was okay. So I think when you start seeing how 
there are certain players that could compete at a level. They're just, I mean, Tom Brady's pretty old guy, right? And look at he's, he's MVP of the Super Bowl. Look at Ibra. So Ibra comes here and people say he's retiring and then he's starring in Europe. So I don't think you could put a, a tag on age. I think it's about the broader narrative. Are we using our resources to bring in only older players at the end of their career or are we having a set example of a couple of them? And if they're great players and they're over 30 years old, that, that's great. But our core investment should be on developing young players and bringing in exciting players, whether they're from South America or there are other parts of the world that could thrill, inspire, and drive our audiences. Don Garber and Jorge Mas, on this topic anyway, singing from the same hymn sheet a little bit. Here's what Jorge Mas had to say about it. I am optimistic Messi will play in an inner Miami shirt because I think it will... I can't say this to the straight face, complete the legacy of the greatest player in our generation and will meet the ambitions of the owners of Inner Miami to build a world-class team. Um, Herc, does Messi need to play in pink to complete his legacy as the greatest player of this generation? Forget about winning an international title like Copa America or the yeah, World no. Cup. That's been his biggest knock on Messi. You know, mm -hmm. when people think Lionel Messi, yeah, he's good, but is he gonna play for Inter? Cause that would really make him good. Yeah, but hey, let's be honest. Um, a week ago, we were kind of fishing. Now I feel like when everybody starts talking about it more and more and more, like this is really going to happen at some point, isn't it? It's going to happen, and it's going to be pandemonium. It's going to be like David Beckham to the galaxy, a watershed moment for the league. I don't care what age you get, Lionel Messi. If he has anything left in the tank, it's going to be a parting of the waters again for Major League Soccer. You're going to have one of the best players to ever play the game. Stadiums will be full. People will go crazy. He may not want to be part of that late night circuit. They will ask for him. Because even mm. if you aren't a soccer fan, you know you've heard Messi. You've heard of this little Argentinian. You've heard about this wizard, this magician. So, yes, things will get crazy. And if you're Don Garber, if you're Jorge Mas, if you're David Beckham and you can get him, you do everything in your power. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Elsewhere in qualifying, some old U.S. foes are dropping by the wayside. Guatemala eliminated after a 0-0 draw against Curaçao, who actually advanced to the next round. Incredible story here. Guatemala was perfect. They didn't allow a single goal in qualifying and they're going home. Yeah. 10 points out of a possible 12. You know what the worst thing is here? No home and away. The game was played in Curaçao, and they go on off a goal differential. One more goal for. Three wins, one draw for Guatemala, and still eliminated. Trinidad and Tobago, they're out as well after a 0-0 draw against the Bahamas. Herc, you're asking, are the Bahamas any good? They were ranked 201st in the latest FIFA rankings. This is nuts. This is nuts. But if you're a U.S. men's national team player or fan, that's uh, two less places where you've suffered and uh, recently.
Yep, our boy Shaka Hislop over on ESPN FC was telling me, man, the federation down there is a mess and starting to affect the national team. Quick transfer talk, PSG looks set to sign Gianluigi Donnarumma from AC Milan, the young goalie on a free transfer. He is just 22 years old. Uh, the weird thing here is they already have a world-class goalie, PSG, and that's Keylor Navas. What do you make of this, Hurt? Keylor Navas is going to be 35 soon. Gianluigi uh, Donnarumma is going to be there for five years, $73 million. So he's not coming to sit behind him. They're thinking about their future. If I'm Keylor Navas, I'm thinking, seriously, again? This is happening mm -hmm. again? You saw it at Real Madrid and how they pushed him out for Courtois. Man, guy can't just catch break, but wherever he is, whenever he plays, he proves he remains amongst the elite goalkeepers in the world. Slatan Ibrahimovic called uh, Donnarumma the best in the world. So obviously, with the numbers you mentioned as well, that's 73 million over five years. That's his salary, because again, remember, they don't have to pay Correct. anything more when he's coming over uh, on a free. You're not paying somebody that kind of money to sit the bench. You're, you're not paying two goalies. I mean, I know PSG has limitless wealth, but my gosh, you're gonna pay two goalies um, that much money? From the Kaler perspective, you said he's 35. Um, he's been missing a lot of Costa Rica games because he's focused on his club career. You, you can respect that. If you're Kaler at this point, do you just like walk away? You say, hey, I, I don't need this. I don't got anything more to prove. Let me go somewhere where they're going to appreciate me and they're going to start me. PSG, you want this guy? Take him. I'm gone. I don't think that's Kaler. I don't think that's mm. him as a, as a person, him as a player, him as a competitor. That's never been him. This is who he is. And when he competes, he proves that he's the best. He's top three goalkeeper in the world for my money. He's... Uh, uh, the guy that I want in goal every single time. I think he's a, a gamer, he's a baller, he's a competitor. But he's been disrespected for the second time now in the last two, three years, and I don't understand. I understand wanting to secure your future if you're PSG, but we're talking about a goalkeeper. Goalkeepers play hmm. until the advanced years of what is a, a, an athlete. And, and in today's type of climate for professional athletes, we see players playing into the latter years all the time and still and still uh, developing, still proving their worth. So this is odd to me. Herc, the transfer window is open, which means we get some wild, crazy stories, some weird connections. I know you've been tracking this one. Get it, that They're always involved in something big. Their latest link, Lukas Podolski, the former World Cup champ with Germany in 2014, most recently playing in Turkey. He's 36 years old, but Querétaro looking to follow up, sign him uh, in the likes of signings like Antonio Valencia and Ronaldinho. There's uh, some cool likes stuff. to this and there is some weird stuff going on. Lucas Podolski upset with that Turkish club because he found out through social media that he is no longer there. Uh, look, he played 47 games, scored seven goals, five assists, averaged 60 minutes per game. He's 36. Air on the side of caution, Querétaro. Kirk, let's book it. Let's make the folks some money. Why don't we start with the odds for top score at the upcoming European Championships. I defer to you as the only top scorer on this show. Who's going to get the golden boot at Euros this summer? Harry Kane, my friend. What is that, plus 700? We'll take Harry Kane and winning the trophy, winning the, winning the golden boot. Uh, mm. How could you not? Was this man not the leading goal scorer in the best league of the world? Wait a second. Was this man not the leading assist man in what is the Premier League? Play for Spurs. Half the season for Mourinho with a very talented team on the offensive front. And take a look at this group. Croatia, the Czech Republic, and Scotland. Very favorable draw for my man, one of the best center forwards in the world, Harry Kane. I don't know, man. England's got to go deep for him to win this. I don't know if they're going to go deep. They could have a very, very difficult matchup in that first round. All right, my pick 
overall to win. Gotta go with Belgium. If it's my money, right? If it's my money, they'll get plus 750. Herc, this is the golden generation of Belgian players. They have yet to win it all. They're starting to get up there in age. So if they don't do it now, you gotta start to ask when will it happen? One other thing, we got a lot of stars on campus right now because of our European Championship coverage. One of them is Tim Howard, who played for Roberto Martinez. And yesterday he told me the man is a tactical genius. So I'm gonna take Tim's vote there. I say Belgium's gonna win it all. Now, if it's your money, and I'm just, is, I'm swinging for the fences. I need a flyer. Bro, I'm going Croatia. They're getting plus 4,000. Herc, I know it's an older team. I know this and that and that. But they were in the World Cup final three years ago. This is a team totally capable of making a deep run in a tournament like this. At plus 4,000, yes, sir, I will definitely take that. That muscle memory, that's a crazy thing. Oh, Belgium, they are getting old too, my friend. That golden generation is getting a little gray. Oh, you're getting a little gray. You're old. Well, don't, don't talk well. bad about my Croatians. They're going to okay. make us all some money. Our National Soccer Hall of Fame has announced its latest class, the class of 2021. We got Christy Pierce, who was on both the 99 and the 2015 U.S. Women's National Teams that won the World Cup. Steve Tarundolo, a longtime teammate of yours with the U.S. Men's National Team, the mayor of Hanover after a long and successful Bundesliga career. Jaime Moreno played with DC United, kind of one of the first players to go in almost exclusively off of his MLS career. So maybe a little shift there uh, in kind of the players that we'll see enter the National Soccer Hall of Fame. And shout out to Kevin Payne, who was once my boss at DC United and a man who is uh, primarily responsible in many, many ways for the supporters culture you see around MLS. It was his decision to put the Screaming Eagles and the Bar Brava at midfield and not behind the goals. And that visual that you always used to see at RFK with the fans going up and down like that, that's a Kevin Payne stroke of genius. So congratulations uh, to Kevin Payne on that. Now, we didn't see one big name on that list. And that is Hope Solo, legendary, iconic yep. U.S. Women's National Team goalie. Her, not the first time, but the second time that Hope Solo has been up and eligible to go into the Hall of Fame and has been denied by the voters. She got 85.4% of the vote, not enough to get her in this time. What do you make of it? All right, so it's obviously not sporting, right? Because what she mm -hmm. did on the field, her merits speak for themselves. The numbers speak for themselves. You, you spoke about how strong the U.S. women's national team was because of Hope Solo. Uh, not only one of the best goalkeepers in the world, but one of the best uh, players for the U.S. Soccer Federation in general. Men or women of all time, she's there. So what is it? Is it that her peers don't respect her? Is she not well-liked? Because she's got... A lot of things where maybe ex-teammates, pundits, fans won't necessarily care for. I mean, we're talking about the Brianna Scurry uh, incident where she threw mm -hmm. her under the bus. We're talking about her comments, uh, the Zika comments in Brazil, how she called the, the Swedes cowards for the way they played the game. Her comments against the U.S. men's national team, her domestic abuse allegations, the DUIs, uh, how she called the 99ers the ponytail mafia, how she's got that kind of thing going against them. So there are a lot of things there that would make you think the people who voted for or who can't vote for her maybe don't like her and it has nothing to do with actual merit. If Hope Solo isn't in the National Soccer Hall of Fame, the National Soccer Hall of Fame does not matter. Herc, that's what it is. You yeah. cannot have a player of Hope Solo's greatness not in the Hall of Fame and pretend that your Hall of Fame is relevant. That's just the bottom line. And you're right. 
a lot of the people who vote on this are former players. They are players who are in the Hall of Fame, and many of them may indeed be former teammates of Hope Solos. What I would say to all those players, if they are indeed the 15% that decided not to vote for Hope Solo again, turn in the medals. Turn in the medals and the trophies that she helped you win. Turn in the two Olympic gold medals. If you want to keep Hope Solo out of the National Soccer Hall of Fame, you are devaluing the National Soccer Hall of Fame. And you want to talk about all that off-the-field stuff, and you want to bring that up, and if people want to hold that against Hope, that's fine. But it's not crimes against the sport. Yeah. When we talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame, right, you leave Pete Rose out because he bet on baseball. You leave Barry Bonds and some of these other guys out because of the Substance allegations abuse. of steroid yeah. use. You can't leave Hope Solo out because she rubbed some people the wrong way. That's not a crime against the sport. I'm sorry. That is just not fact. And you know what else? She's also stuck her neck out. She's gone to fight against some people. She's currently and I think suing that's the being Federation. held against her. She has sued the Federation for gender pay, uh, gender inequality when it comes to pay. She sued the Federation. And she also ran for Federation president in 2018 and was pretty loud about it. And not a lot of people were happy about what she was promising to do if she actually got in charge of the Federation. So she may be a threat to some people, yeah. but you cannot, you cannot honestly ask us to care about your Hall of Fame when I don't even think it's arguable. The greatest American soccer player of all time is left out. Is left out. It just doesn't make sense to me. It just doesn't make sense. That's all for this edition of Football Americas. For Herc, I'm Sebi. Thanks for watching, and we will see you on Monday right here on ESPN Plus. Queen! Queen! Let's go, Seattle!